Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Good afternoon and welcome to WADA ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to the 10th episode of ADA Live. The topic of today's show is beach access. In this episode, we will discuss how to make a beach accessible to people with disabilities. This episode will examine challenges such as beach and wildlife protection, alterations to an existing beach, including upgrades to parking, circulation paths, and restroom facilities, and also what defines an accessible route. ADA Live listening audience, you can submit your questions about beach access at any time on adalive.org. My name is Mary Mortar, and I am responsible for materials development and IT support for the Southeast ADA Center. I will be your host for today. Now I'd like to introduce today's speakers, Jack Humberg and Cherie Hoffman. Jack Humberg is the Director of Housing Development and Americans with Disabilities Act Services with Bowley Centers Incorporated. For the past 22 years, Mr. Humberg has served as the administrator for the Florida Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, Leadership Network. Mr. Humberg has received extensive training on the ADA and the Fair Housing Act through the federal enforcement agencies, including the Department of Justice, EEOC, the Access Board, and HUD. Cherie Hoffman is the Southeast ADA Center's Distance Learning and Training Coordinator. She has been a part of this organization for over 10 years. She is a recognized voice for ADA technical assistance and training for the Southeast ADA Center by sharing her knowledge of the Americans with Disabilities Act and other federal laws. Welcome, Jack. Could you please give us a brief overview of beach accessibility for our listeners? Absolutely, Mary, and good morning to you and Cherie and our listening audience. Being from Florida, I will say that no vacation to Florida is complete without a trip to the beach. Florida alone has more than 1,200 miles of coastline and beaches to explore. However, access to these beaches can be difficult for visitors with limited mobility to explore and to enjoy particularly since conventional wheelchairs with their tiny wheels do not work very well on the sand. So it can be next to impossible to get from the parking area and onto the beach if there is no accessible route provided. To start addressing this problem, the U.S. Access Board has recently issued new requirements covering outdoor recreational areas that are now part of the Architectural Barriers Act, that's the ABA, accessibility standards. I will refer to them as the Architectural Barriers Act so I don't trip up on my words. These requirements, the ABA requirements, became effective 
November 25, 2013. The new standards are located in Chapters 2 and 10 of the Architectural Barriers Act. This is technical and we'll post an exact citation on our resource sheet after this broadcast that will be available online. The new provisions address access to trails, picnic and camping areas, viewing areas, beach access routes and other components of outdoor developed areas on federal property when these components are newly built or altered. They provide exceptions for situations where the terrain and other factors make compliance impractical, and they only apply to new construction and alterations. So regular maintenance and general repairs are not considered new construction or an alteration and therefore are not subject to these requirements. The standards do not apply to outdoor areas that were developed by federal grants or loans. However, the Access Board does intend to develop guidelines for non-federal outdoor sites covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, and areas developed with federal grants and loans covered by the Architectural Barriers Act through some future rulemaking. So stay tuned for those. I also want to remind our listeners that the state and local governments don't have to wait for the U.S. Access Board or the Department of Justice to write regulations on beach access. State and local governments can, and many of them already do, pass their own regulations to make public beaches along with their amenities like parking and restrooms as usable and accessible as possible for everyone. And in addition, while these access board standards for beach access currently apply only to federally controlled beaches, they provide a good reference point for local governments that are working to improve program access to their beaches. Thank you, Jack. That's an important point to remember. Now, would you please explain some of what is covered by the Architectural Barriers Act provisions? Sure, Mary. And for our listening audience, what I'm about to talk about right now are the Architectural Barriers Act and, and will only apply to beaches on federal lands. Later in the show, we'll touch on the Americans with Disabilities Act and the 2010 Standards for Accessible, accessible Design and how those standards apply to access and facilities on public beaches. The first question I often get is, how many accessible beach access routes do I need to have? And the answer is, it depends. It depends on the length of the shoreline and the number of pedestrian access points you currently have. Pedestrian access points to a beach include parking facilities that serve those beaches, dune crossings, stairways or ramps that lead from boardwalks down to the beach. The Architectural Barriers Act require that at least one accessible route for every half mile of shoreline be provided, but the number of accessible routes required does not need to exceed the number of pedestrian access points to a beach provided by that entity. Secondly, where do the accessible routes need to go? Again, it depends on what kind of beaches we're talking about. Are we talking about a tidal beach, a river beach, beaches at lakes, ponds, or reservoirs? And the Architectural Barriers Act regulations say that beach access routes should connect an entry point to the beach to the high tide level at a tidal beach, the mean high water level at a river beach, or the normal recreation water level at a lake, pond, or a reservoir beach. 
Thanks, Jack. You've explained that very well. Here's a harder question. Can you describe what these accessible routes would look like? Well, I'll try. The Access Board has a number of guides for different recreational areas, like boating facilities and fishing piers and platforms, but they don't have one that describes specifically beach access, so I'll do my best to describe these requirements. The beach access routes are covered in Chapter 10, Section 1018 of the Architectural Barriers Act, and they're also covered in Chapter 2. We'll give you links to both of those chapters on adalive.org after this broadcast. Section 1018 says that the beach access routes can be either permanent or they can be removable. The surface must be firm and stable, and the minimum clear width is 60 inches, except at dunes crossings where the clear width of a, per of a permanent beach access route can be reduced down to 48 inches. I recently did a, uh, an evaluation of a beach for uh, Manatee County here in Florida, and we recommended uh, the removable mat uh, type of surface for the county to provide an accessible route. Obstacles on the surface should be no higher than one inch, but there is an exception where the surface is made of concrete, asphalt, or boards, and there the obstacles can be no higher than a half an inch, and openings on that surface can be no wider than a half an inch. The running slope of an accessible route may not be any steeper than one in ten. That's one inch of rise for every ten inches of surface. There also needs there need to be resting intervals on the route. So where the slope is one in twenty, but no higher than one in twelve, there needs to be a resting place every fifty feet. If it's steeper, where the running slope is higher than one in twelve, but no higher than one in ten, then there needs to be a resting place every 30 feet. Thanks, Jack. I'm glad we'll have the links to the Architectural Barriers Act standards so that we can see this in print. We just got a question from our audience. What does the Americans with Disabilities Act have to say about accessible routes? If the only standards covering accessible beach routes are in the Architectural Barriers Act, does this mean that only federal beaches have to have accessible routes? Uh, no, not really. While it's true that so far the only specific standards covering accessible routes onto beaches are in the, Amer the Architectural Barriers Act, and those standards apply to federally managed lands. However, most pub public beaches are state or local entities, so they would be covered by Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the 2010 standards for accessible design would apply. And that means they have to comply with those regulations and standards. So for example, most public beaches have parking areas which must have accessible spaces under the 2010 standards for accessible design. They might also have restrooms or picnic areas and these other amenities and the path of travel to them must be accessible. But so far, there's nothing specific in the 2010 standards for accessible design that gives any direction about access or walkways over the dunes and onto the beach. So technically, the accessible route onto the beach can end at the end of the parking lot. Hey, Jack and Mary, this is Cherie, and I'd just like to add something here. So let's say a city begins building a walkway or a boardwalk tomorrow. 
they would have to build it in compliance with the 2010 standards for accessible design. So it would have to meet the 1 in 12 slope for wheelchairs, have handrails, and if it is a switchback ramp, it would have to have turning radius for wheelchairs to navigate turning around. And that was just an example that I wanted to add in, but if anyone has any questions about this and understanding accessible routes to the 2010 standards for accessible design, they can call 1-800-949-4232 to get their local ADA center. And I would also like to add that the U.S. Access Board guidelines for outdoor recreation also covers accessible routes to fishing piers and boat launch areas. And these new guidelines cover newly designed or constructed and altered elements belonging to Title II and Title III public or private entities. And we'll have that link at the end of the show at our website at adalive.org as well. Thanks, Cherie, for giving us that additional information on accessible routes. And, Jack, I have another question for you. If the 2010 Standards for Accessible Design or the Americans with Disabilities Act do not require accessible access routes to beaches, do they allow people to use golf carts or other types of devices to get to the sand and water? Well, that's a good question, and, and there really isn't a simple answer to this one. Um, there are new regulations that took effect in March of 2011 that require Americans with Disabilities Act Title II and Title III entities to allow individuals with mobility impairments to use what are called other power-driven mobility devices wherever the general public is allowed to go. So we'll call these other power devices for the ease of this uh, answering this question. Other power devices are any mobility device that's powered by batteries, fuel, or other engines that are used by individuals with mobility disabilities for the purpose of locomotion, whether or not it was designed primarily for use by individuals with mobility device. So we're talking about something other than a power wheelchair here, like a golf cart. Uh, other power devices may include golf cars, electronic personal assistance mobility devices, such, with, such as a Segway personal transporter, or any mobility device that's not a wheelchair, which is designed to operate in areas without defined pedestrian routes. So a covered entity, a Title II or Title III entity, must make reasonable modifications in their policies, practices, or procedures to permit individuals with mobility disabilities to use these other power devices unless the entity can demonstrate that that particular class of other power device cannot be operated in accordance with legitimate safety requirements that they have adopted. So in determining whether a particular type of other power-driven mobility device can be allowed as a reasonable modification, there are several factors that should be addressed. One of these is whether the use of the other power-driven mobility device creates a substantial risk of serious harm to the immediate environment or the natural or cultural resources, or could pose a conflict with federal land management laws and regulations. So the impact of the other power-driven mobility device on dunes, on wildlife, on protected areas, etc., must be considered, and this would need to be looked at in each case on a case-by-case, city-by-city, or county-by-county basis. Uh, many beaches now 
allow the use of what are called beach wheelchairs that have the fat oversized wheels. But remember that these are considered personal devices and cities and towns are not required to provide them. However, it's a good idea to check with your local travel recreational guide or the Welcome Center or the city's website where you're visiting because more and more beaches along the coast are providing these either at a minimal cost or mostly for free. Jack, this is great information. ADA Live listening audience, if you have a question about beach access, you can submit it at any time at our online forum at adalive.org. And now, a word from our sponsors. Oli Centers provides information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. Foley Centers is located in St. Petersburg, Florida, and serves as the Florida State Affiliate of the Southeast ADA Center, a member of the ADA National Network. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. Welcome back to the second part of our program. Our topic today is beach access. At this time, we would like to welcome Sheree Hoffman to the show. Cherie, we have some more questions for you. Here's the first one. Do restroom facilities at beaches need to be accessible? Well, good afternoon, Mary and Jack, and um, that's a great question. The answer to this question is simply yes. If, if there are public restrooms available, then they must comply with the 2010 standards for accessible design if they are newly constructed or altered after March 15th of 2012. Now, I get a lot of questions about what if they were built before March 15, 2012. And there is an exception to this rule, which is that there is a safe harbor for, for facilities built before that date. So if these restrooms were constructed or altered before that date, then the required elements of the construction must be in accordance with the specifications in either the 1991 standards or the Uniform Federal Accessibility Standards. So let's keep in mind the public entity is not required to retrofit, and that means change it uh, to, the new, to reflect the new changes in the 2010 Standards for Accessible Design. And it sounds rather technical, and it can be confusing at times. So if they have any questions, they can call the ADA Center in their area at one 800 949-4232. I want to add one more thing about Safe Harbor. And Safe Harbor also applies to other features of built-in environments like water fountains and parking. And there's an excellent archive webinar that can be used as a resource on accessible toilet and bathing facilities or restrooms at accessibilityonline.org. And I found out today that the upcoming July webinar is about advanced toilet and bathing facilities. So listeners can go directly to accessibilityonline.org and sign up for it right after the show. And we'll also give you the link in our resource list at adalive.org after this broadcast. That's great, Cherie. Thanks so much for that information. We're going to stay with the question of accessibility, and we have another question from one of our listeners. Aren't there supposed to be accessible spaces in the parking area at public beaches? 
The beach we use has a small parking area that is just off the street. Does parking at beaches need to have accessible spaces set aside? Wow, gosh, you guys have a great listening audience and another good question. I must say, again, the short answer to this is yes. There must be accessible parking spaces, and depending on who manages the land, the parking spaces must be in compliance with either the 2010 standards for accessible design for public beaches and with the Architectural Barriers Act for federal land, as Jack noted earlier. We've got a follow-up question to that. Who enforces the parking? I see families piling out of large vans in the van-accessible parking space at our beach, and I don't mind if they move their van when they get all their stuff out, but instead they leave it there and they don't come back until they're ready to leave the beach. They don't have hanging parking tags or special license plates. Well, that's another good question, and the answer to this one is not the simple yes. It is more the it depends. I say this because it depends where the parking is located. Is it a public beach controlled by state or local government, or is it federally managed park or on federal land? So where I live in Florida, we have several beaches that are strictly for military members and their family and civil service personnel and they are located on land that's owned by the military base. There may also be another variable, such as perhaps beach parking is located behind a condo, and then this gets tricky. The condos should have accessible parking, but their lots may not be for public use. So most of these scenarios will not exempt them from the requirement to have accessible parking spaces, but it may affect how parking violations are handled. And remember, the ADA does not enforce it. The enforcement of parking violations could be by state or local governments according to their codes and their statutes, or if the parking is on federal property, it might be enforced by a federal wildlife officer or even a military policeman. And in a condo association, it may be that management may just have to call a private towing company to move the car or van. Thanks, Cherie, for sharing this information with our ADA Live listening audience. We will pause now for a word from our sponsors and be right back. The Southeast ADA Center is your leader in providing information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. The Southeast ADA Center, located in Atlanta, Georgia, is a member of the ADA National Network and serves eight states in the Southeast region. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. Welcome back, everyone. We've had some excellent information in the show today, and I think we have time for a few more questions. Since we've touched on accessible restrooms, access to the beach, and accessible parking, let's talk about signage and beach amenities. Can you tell us about that, Cherie? Sure, Mary. Um, both sets of standards, the 2010 Standards for Accessible Design for Public Beaches and the Architectural Barriers Act for Federal Lands, require signs identifying accessible parking spaces, including signs marking every required van accessible space. Also, 
if the accessible restroom or shower rooms or even the fishing piers and ramps are not immediately noticeable, there should be signs posted pointing to where each of these elements or amenities are. I know we have a really nice facility here in Florida where I live if that has a pier with a restaurant, public restrooms, a bait store, and even a picnic area. I noticed that it has excellent signage to the ramps as they're not very visible from the front. The accessible route is nicely done, and all in all, it's just very accessible to people with disabilities. That sounds great. We've got one last question from our listening audience, and this question addresses service animals. The listener asks if he can bring his service animal on a beach when the beach forbids dogs, or it only allows dogs on the beach in the early morning and the late afternoon. Well, in most cases, the answer is yes, service animals are welcome. Under the Americans with Disabilities Act, people with disabilities are allowed to bring their service animals onto whatever areas the public is generally allowed. Beaches may have some areas where the terrain is protected because the dunes are re-nourishing or wildlife is protected, but for the most part, a service animal should be allowed at no pet beaches. According to the Department of Justice, the Americans with Disabilities Act requires facilities to modify a no-pets policy to allow the use of a service animal by a person with a disability. This does not mean that they will abandon their no-pets policy altogether, but simply that they'll make an exception to the general rule to allow service animals. And other rules could also apply to a service animal, so this is important information here. Let's for in, say, for instance, a service animal must be under control of the person with the disability at all times. This includes the requirement that maybe the service animal might have to be leashed or otherwise tethered, unless having the leash on it would prevent them from performing the services that the person with the disability needs. And of course, the owners are responsible for cleaning up after the service animal. Service animals are not allowed to pose a direct threat to health or safety of others either. And that means if they're growling or they bite someone, that they could pose a direct threat. So if the service animal is not under control and poses a direct threat to the health or safety of others, the owner of the service animal would have to remove the service animal from the beach. However, the owner of the service animal would be allowed back on the beach but not that day, the service animal would not be allowed back there. That's not to say that once the service animal becomes less defensive that it would not be allowed back there, but this is going to be covered by not just the ADA, but maybe code and statutes. So it's going to be very important that the owner keeps their service animal under control. That's great information. Thanks, Sheree. I would like to thank both of our guest speakers at this time, Jack Humberg of the Bowley Center and Cherie Hoffman of the Southeast ADA Center, and thanks also to our ADA Live listening audience. The Southeast ADA Center is grateful for your support and participation in this series of WADA ADA Live broadcasts. Remember, you may submit questions about any of our ADA Live topics by going to ADA Live.org. 
A resource section is also available. If you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, please contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. That's 1-800-949-4232. All calls are free and confidential. Please join us next month on August 6, 2014, for Episode 11 in our series. The topic will be post-secondary education and students with disabilities, when we will be talking to Diana Katowicz with the Tayshoff Center on Inclusive Higher Education at Syracuse University. See you next month on WADA, ADA Live. Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.